You're listening to Table Talk, the podcast from Theology Network. I'm Michael Reeves. I'm UCCF's Theological Advisor, and I'm here with the great honour of being able to interview Terry Virgo on the the subject of grace. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Mike. It's good to be with you. Very glad to have this conversation. Terry, tell us a bit about yourself. Where do you come from? What do you do? I live in Brighton in Sussex. I actually was born there. Uh, I lived away from there for 11 years, but have been back since about 1980 when we started a church that's now called Church of Christ the King, and uh, we meet in a large building in the centre of Brighton. Now, Terry, is grace something that you have pretty much always understood since you became a Christian? I would say no. I think inevitably when you're saved and for me that meant meeting with my sister who'd suddenly become a Christian my parents were not Christian I had no Christian upbringing at all so she told me she knew she was a Christian now and I said well we're all Christians aren't we born in England which was how it was in those days and she said no no I've been born again I said what does born again mean I'd never heard the phrase and she began to spell out the gospel And so obviously grace comes to you in that moment because actually I received Christ that night Mm. after an hour or two of argument. It suddenly was true to me. And I guess, yes, you're receiving grace. You know you're forgiven. You know God has accepted you. It's amazing. It is grace. But I think uh, for me, I was living a pretty backslidden kind of life. My friends were not interested in the gospel And for about five years, I very much overlapped church-going, which I started straight away, and a lifestyle that was very ungodly. And so I went through times of terrible conviction, but still stayed as I was, until one day I heard a message that really came home to me with seriousness. And I abandoned my old lifestyle and threw myself totally into church life. And I think I, I took on board... You've got to work at this. Um, you must, uh, you know, no longer this hypocritical half-and-half half thing. And I would think that the general atmosphere at that time was, in prayer meetings and the like, we were all saying how bad we were. Hmm. And uh, prayer meetings were pretty heavy places to be as we were all asking for forgiveness because we were so bad. And I think I, I was wanting to serve God, but often feeling I'm not doing enough. So you're wanting forgiveness but not really feeling you were forgiven? I think, I think forgiven but still couldn't hit the standards which perhaps were required. I read a lot about great Christian heroes and although they inspired me, one felt I'm still nowhere near where they are. And just often feeling if you prayed, why didn't you pray longer? Uh, if you read, you could have read more. And that sense that you're never quite doing enough. Now, that's definitely not where you're at today, is it? So what changed? I think it was fairly dramatic for me. that uh, I think there were moments when one felt, surely there's something better than this. And then I often describe it in these terms because that's how it was to me, that it's like I saw the clouds move and some blue sky. I thought, did I see something there? Did I see God saying, I love you unconditionally? that you don't have to prove yourself to me. For instance, I used to commute by train to London every day to work. And a friend of mine 
who did a similar thing, took tracks on the train and went through every compartment right through a train, giving <laughs> tracks to everybody. Wow. Now, immediately someone else did something like that. It all, I, what am I going to do? Yeah. And I remember I've got the tracks in my pocket and uh, going to the train, thinking, God, help me. And I met a Christian, and I was sitting down, I told him what I was going to do. And uh, he said, God does love you anyway, you know. Right. And it was an extraordinary conversation. Yeah. And uh, it led to my not going right through the train. But I did give out tracks in that compartment. But to me, it was a big issue, trying to do more for God. And what well, he loves you anyway, even if you don't do it. Uh, and that kind of, well, God would love me even if I don't keep the plates spinning. And, um, and, and I felt God said to me, I will persuade you that this is the case. Right. And gradually, over a period of time, sometimes through meeting people, I think, sometimes through readings, it got more and more clear in my heart. I would think it was nailed for me when I worked through Martin Lloyd-Jones' books on Romans, the books of his oh, sermons. wonderful stuff. Yeah. Yes. And particularly Romans 7. That, for me, nailed it theologically, not just yeah. experimentally, and that's always been very important for me. Is it something I can argue from the scripture? Because sometimes you hear people talk about cheap grace. Yeah, sure. And there's a kind of carelessness, <clears throat> and it goes in the name of grace. But for me, when I saw... Can you just explain for people a little bit what, what, what do we mean by cheap grace? Well, I think sometimes people feel that you're saying, oh, we're not under law. Uh, therefore, oh, so you're dropping the standard, are you? Uh, you're saying Christians can do what they like, and God still loves them anyway almost understanding the New Testament, that it's almost like God was a rather angry old man in the Old Testament. And when Jesus came, I don't know, God kind of thought, oh, I'll let them off and drop the standard. Yeah. And somehow the New Testament, oh, it's okay, God's more friendly now, which is kind of crazy, really, but anything will do. Oh, so Christians, oh, you are allowed to do that, and you're still a Christian. Oh, okay. And so people looking perhaps at some of the practical outcomes of grace rather than really getting into the heart of what the Bible teaches, namely that the law never made anyone holy, the Bible says. And you think, well, well I thought you were supposed to. No, no, it never actually produced holiness, ever. The Jews got thrown out of the land. They couldn't do it. They never did do it. And then Paul actually teaching in Romans and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his sermons making it expressly clear that the law never does produce holiness, it leads you to Christ. And understanding that then, through grace, actually, we live a much better life than law could ever produce. Yeah. That's such a helpful distinction, isn't it, between the cheap grace, that it's not, the grace isn't about God lowering his standards Absolutely. at all. It, his standards are impeccably high. Yes. But that in Christ... Yes. He's met them all, and that we're clothed then in his righteousness. Absolutely. So that we're considered to have met them. Yes. Yeah. Now, that's been life-changing for me. It takes away the strain. You know, there's many, many scriptures came alive. The Lord's my shepherd, he makes me lie down. You know, well, that's an unusual way to start. Yeah. To, you know, stop straining right from the beginning. His first thing he teaches you, come to me and rest. Yeah. Learn of me, I'm meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your soul. And out of the sense of acceptance and God being pleased with you, you find new motivation, new Absolutely. desire to serve. Absolutely. There's mm. joy in sort of, the sort of just grudging duty, isn't there? Absolutely. Do you have a f- favourite Bible verse on this sort of kind of discovery of grace for you? 
I think the verse that I've most often uh, felt helps me is that uh, through uh, we reign in life mm. through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. That that that, leaves, that gives us opportunity to live life that is full and meaningful. Yeah, yeah. And how would you say that your deepening understanding of the gospel has kind of bolstered that that um, real confidence in grace and so confidence before the Lord and therefore joy with Him? I think that it's an overview of Scripture that holds together for me now, uh, so that seeing that right from the beginning Abraham was justified by faith mm. right from the beginning that's how it was that Abraham was a believer and uh, the New Testament's doctrine of grace builds from Abraham and then teaches the law was added later uh, as Paul argues that it was it was an addition it was a, for a season as it says in Galatians and uh, until the promise comes until yeah. uh, faith came and uh, we're no longer uh, children under the old schoolmaster because now we're sons. Yeah. We're, we, we relate to God as a father. We don't relate to God through uh, the school teacher anymore. Yeah. We've got direct access. And so I think the overview of Scripture helps to uh, just consolidate it. And I think I'm seeing how Paul had to constantly uh, withstand the attempts to confuse the gospel when the Judaizers followed him and uh, would come to churches that had received grace, received his message, and said, well, we knew uh, that ultimately all the nations would come and worship our God. Isaiah and others said, all will come to see Israel's God as the true God, uh, but we've known Israel's God for a long time, and uh, if you want to be authentic, you better get baptized and keep the Sabbath, and started adding all the laws, and Paul was furious and said, no, 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 that's finished now. Uh, Hebrews says it's obsolete and uh, that distinction that, to see it's not just about little practices are Christians allowed to do that if they're yeah. under grace are Christians allowed to go there if they're under grace it's not so much living at, looking at the minutiae it's getting the whole overview clear out from which we live our life as children of God yeah that's so key isn't it I found that myself in, in seeing that Abraham being justified by faith actually comes before the law so that's God's basic way of relating to us is he's gracious we receive by faith rather than it's you do these things and I'll be pleased with you Absolutely. I wonder also do you think it's that the reason that we tend to fall into that trap of God's pleased with me on the basis of doing certain things is because we tend to think that sin is doing certain bad things on a kind of purely moral way so the opposite is doing good things mm -hmm. instead of thinking in a kind of relational way mm -hmm. how am I treating Jesus here so it's not so much about what precisely am I doing but how am I relating to him in this do you think that's part of it or yes I think that certainly is part of it I think that we can try to do uh, things as though they were trying to get us brownie points Mm. hoping God's impressed with that one. Did that. I think we find when we turn to pray, if you've had a good day or, uh, you know, I can even find this as a preacher now, that if I, I feel I really preach badly, then coming to God, Lord, I'm really helpless, 
please help me, just let me just come to you. I just want to thank you for your favor. And really having to stand in grace. And the scripture says, fight the fight of faith and stand mm. strong in the grace of God. And sometimes it is a fight that because yeah. your emotions are maybe living with disappointment. You feel, I didn't do that very well. Whereas sometimes when you feel, hey, that went well, you can walk into God's presence almost carelessly. You think, no, no, I still... Well, on the basis of what you've done rather Precisely. than his grace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unconsciously, sure. you just think, oh, thank you, Father, that was easy kind of thing. Yeah. And you feel that always, whether it went well, whether you feel, wow, that was wonderful, or where if I tell them, I'm so sorry about that one, the reality is, hey, it's your grace, always. Yeah. And Jesus, you're never going to view me in any different way. It will always be because of your obedience, your blood, your righteousness. I'm accepted in the beloved always. And i found over the years that's a discipline in the mind and the heart to always come on that basis yeah. to get a steady life in God. Yeah, oh, that's great. It reminds me of my favourite Bible verse, I think, is probably Isaiah 61.10. My soul exalts mm. in the Lord, for he has clothed yes. me with garments of salvation. It's beautiful. Isn't yes. it? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, my guess is, if you're anything like me at all, that this kind of um, thinking about grace, gospel thinking, isn't natural and instinctive to you. It has to be cultivated yes. for you. So, I mean, my struggle is, uh, in a sense, all these things you're saying, I, I know them. They're not new to me. But when I wake up in the morning, <laughs> I don't instinctively operate thinking these kind of things. So there'll be mornings when I wake up and for some reason I'll open my Bible and discover something glorious about the Lord and instinctively praise him and then feel great. There are other mornings when, I don't know, I, I've just had a bad day the day before or I've I failed particularly. Mm. And so, again, on, on the basis of my performance whether that's good or whether that's failure, I, I, I'm approaching the Lord. And, and that tends to mean that either I'm up or I'm down, but I'm pretty fickle. Mm. Now, in that sort of situation, there I am, nine o'clock in the morning, perhaps just relating to the Lord instinctively on the basis of how I performed. If you're ever in that situation, what do you do? How, mm. how do you try to snap yourself out of that? I guess that... The discipline I've developed for myself is to always, using a Bible verse, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And so I would tend to do that on the basis of what happened in the day before, the good things. There's an old song, Count Your Many Blessings. So I quite simply, since I've been here even, when I arrived, I thank God for the... We arrived in spite of the snow, through the beautiful countryside the privilege of being here. I just thank God, and I, I thank God for specifics. It helps me pray with my feet on the ground, pray related so to not, life. Not, so you're not, in a sense, thanking God when you feel necessarily thankful. No. You're thanking him, and then the feelings sort of follow the... Precisely, right, yeah. precisely. So I'm saying thank you. I'm here without pain. Thank you. I had a good sleep last night. Thank you. You know, sometimes I'm in difficult circumstances. I travel a bit internationally. <laughs> but Paul says, I was a day and a night in the deep. I've never had that yet. Sure. So <laughs> I really do try to thank God for, you know, I'm not, I've no pain. Thank you, we got here in time. Thank you. And gradually, I find uh, these things warm my heart. Mm. And, uh, and then gradually, I find myself being drawn to thank God for his 
the reasons things work out is because you're making everything work together for good. Mm. The reason you're free to do that is because Jesus took my place. And I usually find that's drawing me all the time back to the central things like the cross. And I, I often sing, so I will pray and sometimes I'll just use a phrase, which and I remember, oh, it's a phrase of a song, and I'll just sing that song. Mm. I, will, I will sing, I will pray, and it's full of gratitude for the positive. So I don't start. See, some people say when you pray, begin with confessing your sin to clear the decks. I think that's a terrible mistake because once I get sin-centered when I pray, I think the devil is standing just behind me with a big shovel. Because you're focusing on Christ, oh, not uh, yeah, on yourself yeah. rather than on Christ. Yeah, I, yeah. Think that, I think the devil will say, and you do this, helpful. and you do that. So that's you, know, you just helpful. get more and more oppressed by failure. Now, Jesus said when you pray and gave us the model of the Lord's Prayer, and starts with glorify your name, hallowed be your name. So it's much more yeah, God-centered. Yeah. Now later it comes to forgive us our trespasses. So we need forgiveness. But if we start with sin, it might sound good because it clears the decks. But I find it, it clutters me up. I want to come aware of my father, aware how good he is, how kind and gracious. I'll use the Lord's Prayer as a kind of structure. I'll go through it as kind of headings. Yeah. Um, but I start God-conscious, start thankful. I just find that warms my heart. That's incredibly helpful. That makes me think of um, you know, old George Muller down in Bristol. Yeah. He said he used to start each day trying to make sure he got himself happy in Jesus at the That's beginning right. of the day. And that sounds very much that kind of thing. I mean, just as you say it, I feel my heart warmed by the <laughs> yes. truth of the gospel. I stumbled on that quite recently, and George yeah. Miller was always a hero of mine. Yeah. So when I saw that, I thought, oh, what a great quote. Yeah, it's exactly right, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Mm. Um, I read, now in complete contrast, I read um, uh, possibly the worst book I've ever read <laughs> um, a while ago, um, The Shepherd of Hermas. I don't know if you've come across it or read it. Have you read it? I've heard the title. I don't think I've read it. Don't read it. It's, uh, it's a sort of apocalypse in which mm. you're forced to ask, how long, O oh Lord? Um, and in it, one of the big things is, um, can you be forgiven after you've been baptised? Mm. And the answer the Shepherd of Hermas gives is, yes, once. Yes. <laughs> I remember and doing so, it in church history. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and so you've got this kind of, so, all right, you're baptised on the basis of grace, and then you have to follow this kind of code of strict lifestyle. Now, as I looked at that, that all sounded a bit foreign, and yet, in some ways, I thought, I think we can be like that today, in a sense that we say, all right, we've got in on grace, but now we have to keep ourselves in by being good. Do, do you think that's a, a problem in our lives? So how does that pan out, do you think? Yes, I think it's sometimes... It's, it's almost identifiable with that idea that the law we know can't save you, mm. but after the law has, after Jesus has saved you, uh, you go back to the law to get sanctified. Uh, so your, it's your performance that keeps you on track, which is the sort of thing you're suggesting. And, I, and the Bible nowhere teaches that. Yeah. And uh, I think that's very commonly thought. And uh, as you say, you come in in mercy, but then afterwards uh, there's the, that kind of pressure to perform. I think uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said at one time that he felt the greatest scripture of, that summed up the Christian life is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to will and to do 
his good pleasure. And uh, he really spelt that out, that we do have a responsibility to, we're not to be passive sure. in our Christian world. We're not just floating yeah. down the river. There is a fight, there is a battle. Uh, work out your salvation. It is a salvation God's given us. Uh, yes, with awe, with fear, with trembling. But that's beautiful second half. God is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. God's involved in our will. He gives us fresh appetites, fresh desires. But not just the desire, but also the ability mm. to do his good pleasure. So I think there is a, God's energy is there for us. His grace is sufficient uh, to, to bring us through. And that if we, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We need to quickly uh, get forgiven. I think sometimes the devil's trick is uh, if we do sin, to say, well, we'd better live away from God for a while. To cause um, you to do a sort of spiritual sulk. Yes. So you can't yes. talk to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're just like, you must, yes. You must, don't, don't dare talk to God. Yeah. yeah. And the devil will challenge you because if you say, sorry, Lord, he'll say, well, that's very easy. Just words. Yeah. Uh, you know, you should have thought that before. And he'll contest with you. And we have to be strong in grace and say, no, Lord, I'm saying sorry. I am now receiving mercy. And I think sometimes people say sorry but then don't receive the mercy. So they, so saying sorry becomes a duty, but still going away feeling guilty, which is really missing the point. We, yeah. must, we must, as it were, be good priests for ourselves. We must come to God and say, I, I come, I am really repentant, and I do receive forgiveness now. What do you mean by that, being priests for ourselves? Well, I think that in the scriptures, the Old Testament you would go to the priest, the priest would make the offering, he would make the statement uh, concerning sin, being covered and uh, taken away. Uh, we need to really know what it is when we feel, hey, we lost our temper, we did things we should never have done, whatever it could have been. And sometimes it's, you, your feeling may be emotionally angry plus guilty, uh, plus what on earth am I doing? I'm supposed to be a Christian. And then the devil will come up on you and argue that and say, you're a hopeless Christian and, and you're emotionally un unstable at that moment. Yeah. And the temptation is, well, I'm going to go to God. I feel so ashamed. And the devil will say, well, spend two or three days away and maybe it'll cool down. You know, maybe he won't mind so much in two or three days. But that is hopeless. We have to come to God now and say, Lord, I am terribly sorry. I did that. I said that. I, I, I confess it now. And I ask mm. your forgiveness now. And the devil will say, you hypocrite. How foolish. That's easy. Just words. And he'll contest you. But you say, no, I receive mercy. It's like like uh, the priest receives, if you like, forgiveness through the, shed of the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. We're saying, Lord, I receive it. I receive it. God is just and faithful to forgive us our sin. We argue our way through that verse. And we... And we, we take it, we receive it. Otherwise, we go away still feeling guilty. Yeah. And it's important to know that guilt has been dealt with. Yeah. And if God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. If God's satisfied, then we must be satisfied. Yeah. That's immensely helpful, Terry. Uh, it makes me think of uh, one of the books I found most helpful um, as a young Christian was Martin Lloyd-Jones' Spiritual Depression, mm. where he talks there about preach to yourself mm. so you speak to yourself you don't let yourself speak to you mm. 
yourself will just say, well, I'm yes. a load of rubbish, aren't I? And that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas you speak to yourself and say, now, self, listen to me. Remember the gospel. Remember these great truths. And so you actually become your own internal priest or preacher. Very good. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you've mentioned um, Martin Lloyd-Jones a bit. Do you have um, a few things that you've been saying I, I have resonated with me I've thought of my great hero, Martin Luther, who I, I've learned a lot of this kind of stuff from. Um, and you've mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones a bit. Are there any people, books particularly, you found especially helpful in thinking this sort of thing through? Well, I suppose he, above all, uh, helped me enormously. And uh, as I said before, his Roman series, magnificent. I think Joe Bridges' Disciplines of Grace mm. is uh, also a fine book. Um, I can't immediately bring to my oh yes, John Piper's Future Grace is a fine book. Um, I'm sure there must be others that don't immediately uh, spring to mind. But I, I think wherever the gospel is clearly spelt out, you know, whether it's John Stott or Jim Packer, you'll find these truths are underlined. But I found that Lloyd-Jones was particularly helpful. Yeah. And just one last question. If there's one book that people could get to read up and understand grace. What would it be, Terry? <laughs> if I may. <laughs> you may. God's Lavish Grace. Um, Who's that by, Terry? <laughs> by myself. Um, it's an endeavour to really get to grips with the theme. So it starts with the sort of things we're talking about and goes on to uh, press through in Romans chapter 7. And that, and that I would differ from Jerry Bridges' interpretation of the end of Romans 7, where um, uh, he would feel that the battle is the experience of the believer, but Dr. Lloyd-Jones did not feel that, and many others mm. don't feel that. Um, and I've gone through that and given the reasons. But also uh, talk about the culture and how culture can sometimes shape you. I've talked about uh, the disciplines uh, of grace, if we're not under law, then how how do we live then? And I've talked about the place of the Holy Spirit in that, the place of the, the Father's discipline, as it says in Hebrews, He chastens every son whom He receives, and uh, God so you can even receive the hard times. Yes, grace from the Lord. Yeah, and learn uh, says how mm. we have to be trained by it. We mustn't faint when we're reproved by Him. Nor must we shrug it off. Mm. Uh, nor must we grow bitter. Uh, there are different ways we can res respond to the disciplines of God. If we discern them to be God's disciplines, we grow through it. Yeah. If we don't, we can, we can uh, grow weary, we can miss the point. So having been received by grace, God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us yeah. as we are. Yes. He wants to change us. And uh, he will meet, use all kinds of means from his gracious hand. And receiving those things appropriately is very important. Terry, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honour talking to you, and it's warmed my heart talking you, about Mike. grace. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Table Talk, the podcast from Theology Network. We're convinced that Christian theology is the most exciting thing possible because it's simply about knowing God better. With hundreds of articles and MP3s, there's something for everyone, no matter where you're at. So come and log on at theologynetwork.org. Know God better, love Jesus more, join the revolution. It is finished.